Well, this morning uh, we come to the end of volume two of the story. We have several key words that we've been learning to help us gain a better grasp of the view from above. And um, so what I'd like to do is just jump right into our review, uh, and we'll review quickly, and then we'll see if we can do everything from memory again. Again, we have 11 key words that we've learned so far, uh, eight from volume one and three that focus on the different leaders in, in volume two. So let's just jump right into that. And so we have, first of all, okay, we have creation, fall, flood, Babel, patriarchs, okay, Egypt, Moses, wandering, Joshua, judges, and three kings. And I know we want to say, I heard Ruth over here, we want to say Ruth, all right, but uh, books of the Bible, but uh, Joshua and Judges, two different periods of leadership, and then three kings. Again, we're not adding a book to the Bible, we don't have first kings, second kings, and three kings, all right, three kings is the first three kings of Israel, uh, not a book of the Bible. All right, let's see if we can do that from memory, and uh, we also have it on your sheets in front of you, but see if you can do it without that. All right, let's slow down the pace just a little bit. Uh, with the first eight key words from volume one. Creation. And then there's three groups of leaders from volume two. Sorry, I interrupted you. Joshua. Three kings. Very good, very good. Well, Christmas is around the corner, isn't it? Um... Angie and I were walking through the mall this week, and St. Nick was sitting on his throne. Uh, quite honestly, he looked really bored. Uh, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he was all by himself, and um, he was not jolly for some reason. Uh, but I imagine as the evening went on, uh, and as the kids got out of school, uh, the children probably all line up for a turn, and they, they all jump uh, up so they can tell him what they would like given to them. Uh, we all, in a similar fashion, we've heard tales of golden lamps, and weary travelers that, that uh, find a genie in a bottle, giving them one wish, or three wishes, or however it goes. Uh, you may have even considered at one point that if you were ever asked, if, if you have one thing that you would ask, what would it be? What would you ask for? Anything you ask, what would it be? You know, we usually chalk, chalk these things up to stories about children's fables and and the beginning of a well-told joke. However, I'd like you to turn to 1 Kings, where we actually find the account of a ruler who is met by the God of Israel, and the God of Israel comes to him and asks him that very question. Ask what I shall give to you. In the book of 1 Kings, uh, the narrative opens a few years after where we left off in 2 Samuel. Uh, We're at a point that's still very early in the history of Israel, but the years of Joshua are over. The time of the judges has ended. All 12 tribes have been united together, first under the rule of King Saul, and then under King David, and now we come to Solomon. Um, David was a man after God's own heart, and 1 Kings begins with the words, now King David was old and advanced in years. By the time we come to chapter 3, David has died, Solomon has has been made king in David's place, and Solomon has consolidated his kingdom, and and God has established the kingdom in Solomon's hand. 
Uh, we're told that Solomon loved the Lord, uh, that he walked in the statutes of his father David. And in chapter 3, verse 5, Yahweh comes to Solomon in a dream. And he actually poses the question to this young king and says, ask what I shall give you. What would you ask for? If it was you, if you were Solomon and the God of Israel came to you and said, ask anything, what would you like? God of the universe grants you one request, no limitations, no gimmicks, anything that you want, it's yours. Wealth, prosperity, a long life and good health, honor among your leaders, I want us to look at the reply that Solomon makes in verse 6. Here's what Solomon said. You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Yahweh my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So, first of all, Solomon starts out with a statement of praise and thanks before he actually makes the the request that we're going to look at in verse 9. But but it's important to note that that Solomon is doing something more than just expressing his adoration. In Solomon's Solomon's prayer, he's recounting recounting God's promises. He's not just saying, God, you're great, God, thanks, but God, these are the promises that you have made over the years. He's familiar with the upper story. He's familiar with everything that we've been looking at so far. He knows the history of Israel. He knows how God has worked among the nations. He knows how God came to Abraham and made a covenant. And he makes reference to that when he says that, um, that the, the Israel had become too great to be numbered. You all remember the Abrahamic covenant, which, again, it's, it's etched on the, the top of your brain, right? And that, that Abrahamic covenant was mentioned in what passage? Genesis... 15, good, good. Genesis 15. And also, uh, he's very specific, he very specifically recounts the greatness of God's faithfulness to his father. And he makes reference to God's covenant to his father David, that he would put his son on his throne after his days were over. And likewise, you all have David, the Davidic covenant etched on your brain as well. And what passage was that one from? 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Good, good. So, Solomon knows. This is etched on his brain too. Solomon knows God's Word. He understands God's promises. And he praises God for how God has fulfilled those. And so you can see how how these covenants that that happened much earlier that we've been looking at in the story are are continuing to be fulfilled. And Solomon recognizes that he's a part of that. And he gives God praise for that. But then he utters his request in verse 9. And here's what he asks for. Give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that i may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people and we're told that god was pleased with solomon and he clearly says so he goes on he says because you've asked this and not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies but you've asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right Behold, I now do according to your word. 
Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. You know, God is so gracious, isn't He? The promises that He makes to us, the, the, the graciousness in which He lavishes His gifts upon us. God is gracious not only in giving Solomon the wisdom that he asked for, but He also grants to him many of the things that he could have asked for. Uh, but then we're told Solomon woke up. You ever done that? You have this great dream? <laughs> he woke up and it was a dream. And so there's this question as you're reading through the text. Oh, that's too bad. You know, it's just a dream, right? Was this a dream or was God actually coming to him in the dream? And, and so the narrator kind of leaves this hanging of, you know, what's going to happen next? Is he really going to be wise? Did God really give this to him? Or is he just hoping to be that kind of king? The narrator answers that question immediately, though, by sharing a story that took place soon afterwards. We're told that two prostitutes came before Solomon with a case to be heard. Because in those days, the kings weren't just somebody that was ruling. They were also the judge. They were the jury, and they were the executioner. And so these two prostitutes come before Solomon with a case. And it's tragic. It's heartbreaking. Both, both women have given birth to sons. Both shared the same house. And both had taken their babies to bed on the third night and nursed them to sleep. But one of the mothers smothered her child in their sleep, and he died. She rolled over or laid on top, and, and he, he suffocated. While the other woman was asleep, uh, the woman swapped the corpse of her own son. She took the other woman's living child as her own. And the other woman grieved when she found in the middle of the early morning that her, her child was dead. Uh, but then after there was a little more light, like any mother who has spent three days admiring and, and looking at her child, she knows. She knows this, this is not my son. But the mother of the dead child refused to acknowledge her deeds, so they came before the king and they argued their case. And they went back and forth. No, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. No, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. And so it went. And so what's Solomon to do? How is a king to wisely choose in these circumstances? DNA tests aren't going to be invented for another 3,000 years. Can't take that option. Neither is time travel, so that won't work. How, how, can, how can he make a right decision? Both women were just as intensely insistent that their son lived. What Solomon uttered next would, would have shocked every ear in the room as it would probably shock you and me if you heard this for the first time. The king said, bring me... A sword. A sword. And so a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king because her heart yearned for her son, Oh my Lord, give, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. And then the king answered and said, 
give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. What an incredible handling of an impossible situation. God had granted Solomon his request. He had given him wisdom, and it was evident to the entire kingdom. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to have wisdom from God like that? Wouldn't it be amazing to, to receive wisdom at God, at, 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 uh, for God to give you that at your request? Wouldn't you love it if God gave you the ability to ask for wisdom like Solomon did? Wouldn't that be incredible? And to have the promise that God would grant your request? How many would love that kind of privilege? To have, God, I, I ask you for wisdom. And, and for, have God's promise that he will give it to you. Wouldn't that be amazing? Are you aware that God has given you that promise? God has given you, as a child of God, that promise. It's yours as surely as it was an opportunity for Solomon as well. In the New Testament book of James, God gives you that promise. Read, read with me. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Did you hear that? God makes a promise to you. Now there's more. We're going to continue reading here. I'm not, I'm not dropping it off. But God makes that promise to you. Ask for wisdom, and it's yours. Ask. Does it sound like a promise that God's made? It does, does to me. God says, just ask. But He does include one stipulation, right? Verse 6. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And so God wants you to ask for wisdom. And, and all you need to do is ask in faith. Now, that leaves a question hanging there, doesn't it? If you're like me, you read a passage like that, and you're asking, I ask myself, I said, okay, what does it mean to ask in faith? Uh, before we move on, we, need, we should probably resolve that. What, what does it mean to look, and look like to ask in faith with, with no doubting? Is James trying to picture you, you asking really, 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 really hard? If I, if I close my eyes really tight and get myself emotionally invested in it, is, is that asking in faith? If I really feel it? And I really pray big words, and I feel it down deep, deep, deep in my heart that it's going to happen. I, I really, really believe, God, I'm sure it's there. Is, is that what it's talking about in James? I, and I think sometimes we approach James, we see a passage like this, and we go, ah, what? I, I want to ask in faith, but I'm not sure what that looks like, or feels like, or how I'm, yeah, do, do I, is there a magic formula? That's not the case, though, is it? What, what does it look like to ask in faith? Can I, can, I, can I make a suggestion to you? Faith, we've been talking about this. What is faith? Quite simply, an easy definition. Believing. 
It's believing God. Faith is believing what God has said. It's sure, there, there's an emotional aspect of faith as much as it is also a choice of the mind and act of the will. But, but the basic meaning of faith is the decision to believe God. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive salvation and He gives you justification, you've come to Him in faith. You've believed what He said about Jesus dying on the cross, right? That, that's what faith is. And, and so when I'm asking for wisdom, what does it look like to have an ask in faith with no doubting? And I would suggest to you, it means that we believe what God says. And let me ask you this question. Is there one place, is there one place in the world where God has declared that He has invested hidden treasures full of wisdom? Is, is it not the book that we hold in our hands called the Bible? And, and so I would, I would like to propose to you that if you want wisdom, then all you need to do is ask. And then demonstrate that you believe Him by going to the very first place where He says that He has written wisdom down and given you counsel. The one who asks God for wisdom, but then first goes to Google, is like a wave of the sea. The one who asks God for wisdom but then ignores the very counsel that God has given where wisdom is invested is double-minded, unstable. You're asking God for something that only God can give but then rejecting the primary repository of God's riches of wisdom that He has opened up to you and said, here's the vault. There's no key. Just come on in. And how many of us ask for wisdom and then we close the book? Like Solomon, God has promised to give you wisdom as well. Should we not take advantage of that? Should we not accept that lavish gift? Well, Solomon became known around the world for his wisdom. He became rich beyond comprehension. You may have heard the story of the Queen of Sheba coming to, to hear of his riches, and she came all the way from Africa. Gifts were brought from all around the world. Peacocks, apes. I mean, you can read the passage in 1 Kings. Solomon was renowned, renowned around the world. He went on to build a temple for the Lord, as God had promised David. Under Solomon, the boundaries of Israel expanded farther than they had ever expanded before, and, and quite honestly, they expanded farther than they ever have again. Uh, to this day, the boundaries of Israel and the tribute that Israel received from the nations around them has never been repeated uh, again. Uh, the boundaries that were promised in the Abrahamic covenant were not quite achieved under Solomon. There, there's some that would like to say, see, God fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant, so there's no more promises for, for Abraham that have to be fulfilled. But, but the promises weren't quite fulfilled. And so there are still promises that God gave to Abraham and promises that God gave to David that we're still looking forward to. And when King Jesus returns, we look forward to the, the day when those promises are going to be fulfilled completely when Jesus sits on the throne of Israel. But Solomon's reign was glorious. His wisdom was astounding. You can read about his reign in chapters 4 through 10, as well as if you jump over to the book of Second Chronicles, uh, not today, but in your own reading, uh, you can read about um, 
Solomon's reign in the first nine chapters of Second Chronicles. I'll just summarize his wisdom with the words that we find at the end of chapter 4, though. At the end of chapter 4, we're, we're told this, that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the sh- on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the, re- of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, Kalkol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedars, cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So, as we read the text, we see that God asked him to make a request. He asked for wisdom and God answered more fully than Solomon may may have ever imagined. He became very wise, not only in matters of morality and not only matters of godliness, but also in matters of biology and science. First Kings tells us that he, he also spoke 3,000 proverbs, 3,000 sayings of wisdom. Solomon was largely responsible for the content of the book of Proverbs, which many of you will be reading this week as you participate in our, our read-through of the story. Uh, but only 800 of, of the Proverbs in that book are attributed to Solomon. So that means there's, there's, only, there's three times as many Proverbs that aren't in that book. It, it tells us that he wrote 1,005 songs. So what book would we look to for those 1,005 songs? Maybe Psalms? Only two of the Psalms are attributed to Solomon. Uh, if you look at chapter 72 and, and chapter 127. Uh, we, of course, we have the book of Song of Solomon, which the whole book is, is, a love, is love poetry, a love song that contains many of these, these songs that, that Solomon wrote. Uh, and then, of course, there's Ecclesiastes, which talks and tells us about the meaning of life. And so while many of his songs and many of his writings are in the Bible, uh, certainly there was much more that he wrote. But aren't you thankful that, that God in his wisdom has led this man who was given such great wisdom from the Almighty, that, that God led him to write much of this down? Aren't we thankful for that? And on top of all this, the portions that, that remained and that are found in the Scripture are not only written by this man who was wise, but they were also inspired by the Holy Spirit who moved Solomon along as he wrote those things. Again, what riches are found in the Word of God? Might we seek wisdom from above by chasing after it? If I made a claim to you and said there's, um, there's an ancient treasure buried how many of you would like to do a scavenger hunt yeah um it's in a chest traditional stuff you know pirate's chest gold pearls you know everything that you'd see from you know one of the disney movies open the chest and it just sparkles and shines and it's all there and i promise it to you and it's buried somewhere would you be interested in finding it yeah i would why not right if it's there for the taking, what if I told you that it was that I, I discovered and I knew 100% absolutely positively for sure, no doubt in my mind, that that chest was buried on my property in Welton, Iowa. And I came to you and said, it's there. 
It's about seven feet deep, and it's somewhere on the property, not under my house. And you can have it, and you can do whatever you need. I give you full permission to do whatever you need to do to your property. I just, you know, give me 1%. What would, what would you do? Yeah, some of you are thinking shovels, but this is the man that got it, okay. Yeah. You're going to get the backhoe, and I'm going to tear, you're going to tear that property apart, aren't you? You know that it's there. You have, you're absolutely certain that it's there. There's no doubt in your mind that this treasure is hidden. And now you know where it's at. All you've got to do is dig. I'd like to read you a passage from Psalms. I didn't write down in my notes what Psalm this is. I just know that it's verses 13 to 15 somewhere. So to quote Hebrews, somewhere it says, in the book of Psalms, we read this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Did you hear that promise? Pay attention to that, that, that last phrase. It, it, God's wisdom that he offers to you is better than gold, better than any jewels that you can find, better than anything that you could find on my property in some hidden treasure chest. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire. Pause there for a moment. That's a big statement, isn't it? Can you think of some of the things that you desire? Our mind goes places, doesn't it? Oh, lottery tickets, Marriage, education, you know, there's all kinds of things we, get, we go, right? Nothing you desire can compare with her. So what are you willing to do? How many backhoes would you have to rent to find this kind of wisdom? How much digging? We, we should be running to the wisdom that God has given to us. And, and here's a man who was granted that kind of wisdom, and he wrote that wisdom down, and, and, and it was insured by the Holy Spirit. And so you don't just have this rumor that wisdom is here. You have the promise of God that He has granted wisdom that's available for you. And all you have to do is ask in faith. And I believe if we ask in faith, then one of the first things we do is we go to the place where God says, I have wisdom treasures for you that are, that are unfolding on these pages. All you have to do is dig. All you have to do is open it up and start reading and studying and memorizing and hiding this Word in your heart and then living by it. And, and wisdom will be yours. That nothing you desire can compare with. I'm so thankful that God took a man like Solomon and, and moved him to write some of those things down combined with many of the other things that other men of wisdom led by the Holy Spirit have given to us. Solomon's reign was truly remarkable, wasn't it? And these were some of the most glorious years for the kingdom of Israel. However, our survey of the reign of the third king of Israel wouldn't be complete if we failed to consider Solomon's greatest tragedy. For you see, for all the wisdom that God gave to Solomon early in his life, and throughout his struggles and afterwards, we must remember that his promise to give him wisdom also contained a stipulation. Our, our promise contains one. Ask in faith. Solomon's 
promise that God gave to him, it also had a stipulation. Back in chapter 3, verse 14, he said, and if you will walk in my ways, so he'd given him wisdom, but then he says, look, if, if you'll walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. In other words, Solomon, if, if you disregard the wisdom that I give to you, there's going to be consequences. The wisdom of God granted to Solomon was not a promise of perfection. It was not a promise that Solomon would never fail. It was not a promise that once receiving that wisdom that, that he would fail to heed his own advice, his own counsel that he had received from the Lord and given to others. Solomon would have to live his life by faith like every other saint that has lived on the face of this earth. However, the, the tragedy of Solomon is that for all the wisdom that God gave to him in his later years, he neglected the very wisdom that he had taught to others. Indeed, he even neglected the wisdom that God had put in his word regarding how kings were to live and to reign. If you turn to the book of Deuteronomy, Solomon should have known and had the wisdom of going to God's word and saying, God has commanded me as the king of Israel not to do these things. It wasn't a big list. Don't marry tons of wives. Don't collect horses for yourself. Don't do this. There's there a small group of things where God says, if you're the king of Israel, don't do this because I want to protect you. I want to give you wisdom. And, and there were some commands in Deuteronomy. And, well, Solomon disobeyed every single one of those. If we go over to chapter 11, verses 1 through 8, let's just read a summary of what happened. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women among along with the daughters of, of along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the, which Yahweh had said to the people of Israel, "You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart they will turn away your heart after their gods." Solomon clung to these in love. He had seven hundred wives. I, I love my wife. But one wife is a lot of work. And one husband is even more work. I, I can tell you th that. My wife is amazing in dealing with me. But one wife is all I think I can handle. I love you. I really do. But 700. Two years. I mean, one day apiece. How do you do that? He had 700 wives who were princesses. So not only were they his wives, but boy, talk about the you know, high maintenance. Um, just kidding. They were princesses. 700 wives who were princesses. I, I'm picking on our wives, knowing very well how, how much work we are, guys. All right. I planned all that. I'm just getting myself in tr trouble. I'm digging my own hole. So let's just keep on reading. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to Yahweh his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh and did not wholly follow Yahweh as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Shamash, the abomination of Moab, 
and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountains east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. And my friends, for the next several hundred years, the Israelites were going to stumble over those. There were consequences. Solomon's great compromise is truly a travesty. There will be consequences for Solomon as well as, as, uh, as there was for David. The Lord was angry with him, we're told in the next chapter. Uh, we'll see when we come back to this series in January how Solomon's sin and how Solomon's um, distractions, if you can call them that, um, they're going to lead the kingdom to splitting in two. And Solomon won't see that during his lifetime, but immediately after his reign, it's going to happen. So what can we learn from Solomon's failure? I'd like to suggest to you that this teaches us a most important lesson about faith and wisdom. Too many Christians have lived their lives of devotion and faith. They've walked in faith. They've witnessed great success in life, great success in ministry. They've watched God's hand upon them because they believed God's promises. And they've witnessed great success that was lavished upon them by their God who gave them wisdom when they asked. But too many Christians, too many of these saints, failed to finish well. Too many Christians try to coast to the finish line. They've run the race and they get to the end and think, I'm just going to glide through the rest of the way. They think they can enjoy God's blessings by depending on their past walk of faith. But the Christian life is not like that. Wisdom is not like that. Wisdom does not remain with those whose hearts have turned away. If you don't believe me, ask Solomon. Read his story. In closing, I'd like to encourage us to consider wisdom and remember two truths. Number one, as we go away from here, God promises wisdom. I, I, just take a moment to consider the incredible weight of that statement. God, the, the God of the universe who created everything, including wisdom, promises wisdom. Is he a God who keeps his promises? Do you believe that? One, one person did. That's, that's good. Do you believe God's promises? Yeah. He's a God who can fulfill his promises like no other God, no other rock that's been carved by men can. Your God can make promises and he fulfills them. And so he offers you wisdom. Will you believe Him for it? Might the story of Solomon teach us so, so that in our story, we would be people who would run to God's Word and we would trust what He says. May we be people that long to hear for ourselves the Lord's counsel, even as Mary did when she sat at Jesus' feet. Relishing every word that came from His lips. Might we be people that relish over every word that has come 
from the mouth of God and believe him. Number two, it's important that we remember that wisdom is not cumulative. A lot of knowledge is, there's a lot of things you can go to school for and read in books, right? And you'll remember many of those things. You can remember much of the wisdom that God gave you in the past, but knowledge and understanding you can stack up and retain, but wisdom requires walking by faith in the now. You can have wisdom in the past and understand what that wisdom was and what led you to those decisions, but you can live in the now, in the present, and walk a different direction. And if you've done that, then you've abandoned the wisdom that you had earlier. Wisdom is not cumulative. It begins with the fear of the Lord. And so, be careful to rely on the power and the faithfulness of your God, not on the coattails of your faith and the wisdom of years past. Psalm 119 is one of the most glorious of all the psalms. Just ask you as we close to consider its words. And may we go out from here as those who long for wisdom, the kind of wisdom that God offers to us. Psalm 119, verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Father, we pray for your wisdom today. Father, I ask it. I ask it for myself. I ask it on behalf of my friends here. I pray that in faith we would come to you, that we would believe what you can give us, that we can believe in your precious promises. And Father, I pray that we would believe in the manner that we would turn to the pages where you have granted us wisdom on paper, wisdom and counsel that exceeds the best counsel of men. Father, I pray that you would teach us to be men and women who would treasure the many vaults of wisdom and treasure that you have given to us and granted access to. Father, I pray for us here that, that we would not be deluded by past success. I pray that we would learn not only wisdom from Solomon, but I pray that we would learn wisdom from the lessons of Solomon. Might, might we never think that, that my successes before are what's going to get me through the, the rest. Father, I pray for my friends. I pray that you would help us to finish well. I have some here, some of my friends that are just getting started on this journey. I, I pray that they would be 
ever in pursuit of the wisdom that you offer to them. And I have many friends here that are, that are in some of the last chapters. They're finishing the race. There are less years ahead of them than there are behind them. And, and Father, I pray you'd help them to finish well. Whether you grant to them one more year, ten more years, or twenty, might we finish well in this race that you've put before us, continuing to live in wisdom for your glory and for your honor. Amen.